So last week we finished in Acts 21, 24, and the last part of Acts 21, 24 concerns James, the Lord's half-brother, speaking to Paul. And he says to Paul, But that thou thyself also walkest orderly, and keepest the law. You can't keep the law. You can't even keep the civil law. I mean, were you aware that it's illegal to drive under the speed limits? Never mind over the speed limits. How about driving under the speed limits? It's illegal to drive without your seatbelt on. It's illegal to drive holding your phone and using your phone. And yet people do it every day of the week. So here we get a picture of two saved individuals. Both love the Lord. Both have been commissioned by the Lord to do great things for him. And yet you would have thought, would you not, that this subject wouldn't even be up for discussion. I mean, Acts chapter 15 made it very clear that Jew or Gentile couldn't keep the law. Solomon told you back in 1 Kings chapter 8 how there wasn't a man on the earth that didn't sin. In fact, the law was given to bring us to the Lord. The law, of course, is like a schoolmaster. And therefore, we are like subjects. We are like children. And therefore, you would have thought, why is this even being raised? But that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. You could take this verse and suggest that Paul could have responded by saying something along the lines of, Yes, James, I am a good saved sinner. Although even that term isn't technically true because nobody's good but God. And therefore, Paul could have said, well... I do try my best. I'm saved by an imputed righteousness. But James, as I say, was somewhat legalistic. And James was trying to placate jury. Look at 25. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled, and from fornication. Concerning the Gentiles which believe, that's what saves you and I, we believe. We have written, back to Acts 15 again, and concluded that they observe no such thing. Concerning 21, 22, 23, 24. Concerning circumcision. Concerning being part of the old covenant. Save, except only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols. And from blood and from strangled, and from fornication. And this is also reaffirmed later from Acts chapter 16. And I guess if I was to once again try and harmonize these verses with the Pauline epistles, I would go to Romans 14. And there you were told to deny yourself if it meant assisting a weak brother. So the key from these verses would be self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. And that's not easy, because you have liberty in the Lord. And don't let anybody ever come along and tell you other. But your liberty is conditional, of course, on a weak brother or sister. And that comes with, with uh, maturity over the years. But you wouldn't believe how difficult it is to get the balance right between liberty and legalism. 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. This wasn't necessary. Paul would tell you about this in Philippians 3, Galatians 3, 4, and 5. For by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And yet, like I said last Sunday, he's doing this, A, to be a good witness to the Jews, and B, to win unbelieving Jews to the Lord. 
And here Paul will offer a sacrifice to the Lord. I think from 30 AD to 70 AD, the Lord granted a special dispensation to the believing Jewish remnant in the early church. And I think they and they alone were entitled to do this. But today, if you were to come across a Gentile or even a Jewish believer attempting to do this, say, from a local synagogue, there's no temple, of course, today. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. But if you were to come across somebody trying to do this today, then you could quite easily say they are legalists, they've fallen from grace, and they are bordering heresy. 27. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stood up all the people, and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law, and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and hath polluted this holy place, excluding God, excluding the word of God, and excluding you and I, no one, or nothing is holy. So take God out of the equation, take the saved man or woman out of the equation, take the word of God out of the equation, and nothing, nobody, is holy. But here you get a group of religious zealots, very much outside of the Lord's remit, very much enemies of the Lord, crying out from 28, Men of Israel, help! This is the man, concerning Paul, that teacheth all men everywhere against the people. Again, that's not true, but they're not saved, so they're going to uh, embellish, and they're going to exaggerate, they're going to slander people like Paul and co, and the law, and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Trophimus, of course, was one of Paul's companions, and this whole rigmarole, this whole commotion, was completely unnecessary, but behind this attack on Paul was no doubt the devil, and he's stirring up the people, and if they could... They would have killed Paul. And this goes back to what I've been saying all along. That most people are on the wrong side of the Lord. Most people are on the wrong side of history. The majority have always been in the wrong. The majority have always been in the dark. It's always been the minority. And yet Paul, if I know Paul, and Peter, if I know Peter, and James and John weren't fearless. In fact, John and James, these sons of Zebedee, were called the sons of thunder. They were pretty bold. They were pretty brash. They loved the Lord. But let's read on 30. And all the city was moved and the people ran together. And they took Paul and drew him out of the temple. And forthwith the doors were shut. I remember watching some video on YouTube a few years ago. Concerning some street preachers that went to Jerusalem. And they preached downtown Jerusalem. Not sure exactly where it was in Jerusalem. But near the old temple. And a crowd gathered. And started to spit at these street preachers, Christians, born again, Bible believers. And it was very ugly to watch. And it went on for several minutes. And the crowd was pretty much in two halves. One half, as I say, were wanting to lynch the Christian preachers. And the other crowd were trying to stop a lynching take place. 31. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band. That all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Religious vigilantes. The worst possible type. 
you come across religious fanatics, religious zealots. John 16, the Lord spoke about such people who think they are doing God a service, like Calvin, like the popes, like these Islamic militants around the world. They are the worst types of people to come across because they think God is on their side. And he's not. 22, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers that have beating of Paul, you were told in Romans 13 that the powers that be are ordained of the Lord. And you were told in, I think, seven places in the New Testament to pray for those that are in authority. And sometimes it's very easy to criticize those in authority. And uh, we all do it, of course. And sometimes it's easy to speak ill of those in authority. And we've all done it. But those in authority are there for a purpose. In fact, I remember some years ago, a friend of the family went up to Downing Street and he went into number 10 and he met Tony Blair. And he said to Patrick at the time, he said, I've never met a man who was so stressed. I never met a man who was so on the edge. And he said that job of being a prime minister or a president or a king or a queen is a very difficult job because people are bringing problems to you every day of the week. Prime minister, we need help with this. Mr. President, we need help with that. Your Majesty, we have a problem with this. Your Royal Highness, we have a problem with that. Every day, problems are coming their way and they, and they alone have to try and solve the problem. And yet, yes, we are told to pray for those in authority. And on the other hand, we are also shown in Scripture, are we not, when John the Baptist rebuked Herod for having his brother's wife. So, on the one hand, you can rebuke those in authority, and you should. And yet, on the other hand, to be fair to Scripture, you need to pray for those in authority. And I think of, my, I think of China, for example, and I believe that as of this year, there are around 80 million saved Christians in China. 80 million. And as far as I can ascertain, that's more than all of Britain, Europe, and possibly North America combined. I mean, born again, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christians. And those people in China are praying every day on their knees for their leaders. Also, I'm told there are many saved people in North Korea. And if those people can pray for their leaders, why can't we? But this chap made it clear to Patrick that Mr. Blair was a man on the edge. A man with great stress. And I can understand that. It's a very difficult job to hold. And therefore here, to the relief of Paul and co, a chief captain has come to Paul's aid. And as I say, Paul wasn't fearless himself, but probably some of Paul's friends were very happy to see this chief captain arriving, commanding him to be bound with two chains. In fact, I just jumped ahead of myself to 33. But 32, immediately soldiers and centurions ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating off Paul. Of course, they're cowards. And I have no time for these people. And I watch some of these crime programs. And I come across people that are going around killing innocent people. And you give somebody a gun or a stick or a weapon, they're pretty brave, aren't they? But you put those people against an army or a police force. They're cowards. Take a look at 33, please. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And demanded who he was and what he had done. Paul seems to be guilty before being declared innocent. And yet today we are innocent 
until proven guilty. But this chief captain was no doubt dispatched by Almighty God because Almighty God controls everything that one of his children will experience. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, Romans 8.28 tells us that everything works together for good to those that love God, to those which are the called according to his purpose. 34. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the torments, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. Now it's time for an interrogation. And I think what the early church forgot, we will never know. And what the early church went through puts us to shame. In fact, let me say this to you very briefly, that I was watching the news this morning. And an Anglican archbishop in the UK, a very well-known individual, is walking around the UK and think to yourself, what is he walking about? Or why is he walking? You know, what's he trying to achieve? Is he walking against pornography? No. Is he walking against abortion? No. Is he walking against same-sex marriage? No. He's walking around the UK, and I get this, because the cost of food is too expensive in the UK. Now, can you believe that? An Anglican archbishop in the UK on a six-figure salary is walking around the UK... And according to the news this morning, he's walked 2,000 miles, which is quite amazing because the UK is not that particularly large. I guess he's gone around maybe two or three times. I don't quite know what, which route he's taken. And he is upset over the fact that food in the UK is too expensive. And yet, as an Englishman, I can tell you that food is pretty cheap for the most part in this country. What is going on here? How can it be possible that a man of his status with his education, is walking around the UK, and he's not walking against sin. He's not preaching against wickedness or evil. He's not giving out tracts. He's not calling on people to repent. He's marching. He's walking. He's demonstrating against the price of food. And yet here, Paul is trying to induce to the Lord. Here, Paul has just escaped a group of vigilantes, and he's been detained, 34 at a castle and 35 tells us and when he came upon the stairs so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people for the multitude of the people followed after crying away with him this archbishop is very popular this archbishop is very charismatic he's very slick he's smooth he's very popular the media love him which is always a worrying thing what does the word of god tell you that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination unto the Lord. For me, I'd cringe if people said I was a great guy. Sure, you can have friends who speak well of you. And sure, you can get along with the world to some extent. You can have an understanding with people in your community. I don't think we need to be uh, despised 24-7. Don't get me wrong. But what's going on here? This crowd wanted to kill Paul. Away with him. Like the Jews said concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Crucify him. Let his blood be on us and on our children. We have no king but Caesar. So 36, one more time. For the multitude of the people followed, crying away with him. And yet you look at the world today, you look at Christendom today, you look at people in organized religion on five, six-figure salaries, and when these guys retire, they go to the House of Lords where they get 300 pounds a day just to turn up. What is going on here? And yet, if I wasn't born again, if you aren't born again, if I wasn't a Bible believer, if you weren't a Bible believer, you'd have no idea, would you? 
You think to yourself, this is normal behavior. You think to yourself that this is Christianity, and it's not. 37. And as Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Paul would have spoken Greek, possibly Latin, and certainly Hebrew and Aramaic. 38. Art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days made us an uproar, and led us out into the wilderness, four thousand men that were murderers? This chief captain had no idea who Paul was. Art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days made us an uproar, and led us out into the wilderness, four thousand men that were murderers? And yet this archbishop, he's not misunderstood, is he? They know who he is, they know what he stands for. And yet, who is this man? 39. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a city of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Paul knew his rights, and this is the second time that he is asserting his right to speak. Acts 16, he has been detained, and they come to ask him to leave, and he says to the sergeants, I'm a Roman, I've been detained, I have rights, how dare you expect me to disappear out the back door? So when Paul says, I'm a man which I'm a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a city of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people, I think to myself, why not? And sometimes it's good to know your rights. I think as uh, British nationals, we have rights. Uh, and if you are living in another country, the chances are you have rights as well. And yet we are going to lose those rights. 40. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with a hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, comma. And that's where this ends. That concludes Acts 21. When I read this a few weeks ago, I thought to myself, I wonder if the NIV also ends in verse 40 with a comma, and it does. And I checked the RSV and the New King James, and they too end with a comma. And yet 22, which I'll read you next week, men, brethren, and fathers, he my defense, which I make now unto you. And away he goes, offering his defense to the people of Israel, and yet it intrigues me as to why a comma ends a chapter. In fact, this is the only chapter in the entire Bible that ends with a comma. So 40 verses, you think to yourself, could it not have gone to 50 chapters and then put the break in, or maybe 60 chapters and put the break in? I think Matthew 27, or maybe 26, is over 60 verses long. Luke chapter 1 is around 67 verses or thereabouts. Um, Parts of Isaiah run to 40, 50 verses. In fact, I think the last chapter of Isaiah 66 runs to around 60 verses. And yet here, the break, the comma, goes at the end of verse 40. So I will end there in verse 40. I don't want to start a new chapter today because I'm out of time. But if I was to recap Acts 21, I would say this, that Paul, to his credit, would go into the temple, would witness to the Jewish believers, and also be a witness to the unbelievers. He 
would almost suffer death and he was ready to die, he would tell you that it was more beneficial for the church if he was to remain. And yet you ask yourself what he must have thought after seeing the third heaven and then coming back to the earth. And as he goes into the temple, this crowd get a, a sighting of him and Trophimus, a Greek, has been uh, cited as going into the temple with Paul. And of course, for the Jews, the temple was a place of refuge. It was holy. And yet, as I say, for this dispensation, only the born-again Christian, Almighty God, and the Word of God are holy. In fact, from 29, further expounding on Trophimus being seen in the temple and the temple being holy, Martin Luther once said that you won't find Jesus Christ outside of the New Testament. And that's, I think, pretty true. I know people go to Israel every year, and I was there some years ago. And yes, it was interesting to go to Israel, and yes, it was interesting to look around, of course. But I know what Luther is referring to when he says that really you're only going to find Christ in the Word of God. And therefore, when you see people at the Wailing Wall, you see people praying at the Wailing Wall and putting their prayer requests in the uh, cracks in the Wailing Wall, which I'm told are removed and burnt at the end of each day. You think to yourself, you don't really need to go there and do that. Because, as I say, the saint, the word, and the Lord are holy. And on top of that, you, if you're born again, have the Holy Spirit living within you. And yet, this is completely lost outside of biblical Christianity. 30, 31, 32, Paul is moments from being martyred. And from Acts 7, Stephen is martyred. And the Lord doesn't rescue him. And yet here Paul is rescued. And sometimes you will have to suffer terribly for the Lord. But Paul's time isn't yet up. Because Paul hasn't yet finished writing all of his epistles. And word gets back to this chief captain that there's an uproar. There's an almost riot about to break out. And he sends his soldiers. They detain Paul. And yet 36, again, for the multitude of the people, followed after crying away with him. And yet, look at today's religious crowd, professional priests, career clergy, on five, six-figure salaries, preaching to the choir, doing such a disservice to people that are born again, and on many occasions, giving us a bad name. And then we come along as Bible believers, and we preach the gospel, and people are shocked. I remember some years ago doing some street work, in our town and uh, this lady came over to us she was what you call on the left she was uh, an atheist she was politically left and uh, she was shocked at the preaching and she said to us what you are preaching sounds like something out of the Victorian ages in a Victorian age something out of the uh, 19th century I'm shocked because in her world all the priests and vicars that she would uh, come into contact with are nice men and women. They, sm- you know, they smile at you. They speak nice words. They say God loves you. They give hot cross buns out every Easter. And then we turn up, say internal burn, repent, trust the Lord. Otherwise it's hellfire for you. So the contrast couldn't be further apart. And that's why when I look at these men in dresses, wearing dog collars and cone hats, I just 
cringe. I've no time for such people whatsoever. Walking around England, demonstrating against the price of food, wanting to make this a better world. And yet Paul told them, also from chapter 17, how God has appointed a man, Jesus Christ, which would judge the world in righteousness. And how God commands all men everywhere to repent. But of course you wouldn't know that unless you were a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. And this individual, this chief captain, is able to calm the crowd temporarily. And he gives him license in 40, and that term license, you think, I need a license to get married, I need a license to preach. And here it simply means he gave Paul permission to preach, and he stands on the stairs and beckoned with a hand under the people. Not hands plural, hands singular. I showed you last time that Peter was left-handed. I don't know what uh, Paul uh, used to write, but uh, he's on the stairs. He beckoned with a hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Brethren, brothers and sisters, fathers. Now, we don't call people father today. You were told from Matthew 23 not to call anybody father upon the earth. And yes, there's a chap from Luke 16 who says to Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus, they may dip the tip of his finger my tongue, for I'm in torments. But they get a picture of a saved Jew being Abraham and an unsaved Jew being the rich man. So the context is jury. But for us living today, we don't call people father or fathers unless they are physical fathers. But I won't go any further, because I'm going to be straying once again back into Acts 22. But it is interesting, is it not, that a comma comes after saying, and that concludes Acts 21. Fascinating. And every other Bible in the world takes the lead from the King James Bible. The King James sets the pace, and they all follow. What I didn't do, and maybe I should have done, was check if the Geneva Bible also had a break. After the, after the word saying, I don't know. But all of the Protestant Bibles and all the Catholic Bibles also, interestingly enough, follow the break here from Acts 21.40 going into Acts 22, which we'll pick up next week.